Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Greetings this Lord's Day in the name above all names, the name of Jesus. Greetings. Amen. Today we serve our King, King of kings and Lord of lords, and yet he condescended to create us and to continue to peer into our lives with the love of a father. Amen. Amen. What is man, as it is asked in our uh, memorization psalm for this month, what is man? That he pays any attention to him whatsoever. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the, the son of man that thou visitest him? All of us should wonder again and again. It should, and at the same time, the very question should bring us joy. What is man? What we are is we are God's creation. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. And he's our, he's our good shepherd. Amen? Psalm 100, as we gather today, will be our call to worship today. It's a very familiar psalm, and it makes this same joyful proclamation. It says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness, and come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God, it is he that has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us and with a gentle hand guiding us, Lord. So tenderly you attend to our needs lord you number the hairs on our head and and you know our uprising and our downfalls lord you lead us in the paths of righteousness for your namesake we pray today as we gather in your presence lord that you would forgive our sins lord that you would feed us from heaven for we are hungry for what you have lord we pray that you would feed us and that you would change us by it, Lord, to make us more like you. May we do all these things today in Christ's name. And everybody said?
My sermon today is called Following the King. Everybody say, Following the King. Following the King. And my text, and uh, I'll be preaching on the entire Psalm 23. So hear the word of the Lord. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we are anxious to hear from you. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us that in the hearing of your voice, we would be transformed into your likeness. One more degree, one more step further up and further in to your goodness. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. you may be seated. Not one request or one complaint. If I were going to summarize the entire Psalm 23, I would say it that way. Not one request or one complaint. David's psalms are often filled with the complaints, the moanings, the, the fear, the, the stress, the, the pleas, the askings. But Psalm 23 is not. It is not one request or one complaint. It is statement after statement of belief in God and in His goodness and what He is and what He will do in the life of God of David. That's how I see the 23rd Psalm entirely. These beautiful words of peace, security, and sovereignty have been a comfort to countless for thousands of years. Have they not come to you whispering softly at times in your life when you've needed the steady hand of God on your shoulder? I know they have for me. In our time though, Psalm 23 has become an expected passage to be read at funerals, although this practice only began in 1928. Isn't that kind of new information? Kind of was for me. It's safe to say that the majority of Western Christians could quote some or even all of Psalm 23 from memory. And there's kind of a sadness of tone that comes with it when we do because of our current association that we put with it with the loss of our loved ones. Now it is certainly... Any scripture would be fitting to be read at a funeral. And it's certainly fitting for any time and anyone. But David's song is less of a dirge of sadness than a joyful declaration and a grounding profession of faith in a personal God who is very involved in the lives of his people. And folks, this is something to be glad about. Amen? It's not like he said it all, you know, he's the watchmaker who wound it up and let it go or... Or he's the God who's out there, out there, and he's just kind of peering over, you know, if he wore them, you know, over his glasses, you know, like Kyle and I do oftentimes, you know, we're getting old and, 
and peering over our glasses. What's going on down there among those people? You know, he's involved. He cares. He interacts with us. He 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 doesn't think it's too small a thing to answer our requests. Several hundred years after David writes this song, this is amazing. You know, reading Ezekiel chapter 34 as uh, Brother Jeff did for us today, you hear God Himself quoting and referring to the psalm that David wrote 500 years before. That's a neat thing. I mean, it's a one thing to be quoted, right? Uh, but if God quotes you, that's, that's really, really good. Now, obviously, David was speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when he did. But David wrote the words uh, of Psalm 23 500 years before Ezekiel wrote his words that we heard earlier. And we'll talk a little bit more about those. But Isaiah, he uses the same imagery. Micah records these same words where God refers to him in ways that are very reminiscent of the 23rd Psalm. It seems the analogy of the shepherd-sheep relationship was rich in the truth of how God loves and cares for His elect people. Once again, I've mentioned this in other Psalms before, but you won't find too many uh, uh, ancient writings from you know the worshipers of Marduk or Isis or Ra where God lovingly cares for and tends to his people like that. that. That kind of work is for low lives. Important people don't worry about the common people. Certainly not kings or even God. I mean, they're just riffraff. But the God of the Bible, the God, the Christian God, he's the shepherd who cares for his sheep with the tenderness of a shepherd. The beautiful imagery offered to us in Psalm 23 puts us in a pastoral scene of beauty, walking with God, safe under His care. This is the place that we need to go in our minds and lives when our circumstances fill our hearts with doubt and our mind with faithlessness. Sometimes we just need to stop and remember who He is. In my last three sermons, God saved the King prayer of my king and killing my king on Psalms 20, 21, and 22, we have a three-week sermon focusing on King David and Jesus, King of Kings. Now, in this is part four, and it'll be the last part of this uh, series within the Psalms, but we will see as we come here that what we're going to look at is following the king, right? David wrote the Psalm, and they wanted, he wanted the people to pray for him, and they did in Psalm 20. In Psalm 21, David responds with his own prayer as a king, saying, you know what you prayed for in Psalm 20? It came true. And God gave me everything that you asked him to give me in Psalm 20. And then when we come to uh, Psalm uh, 22, we find that we see the death of the king, which is the crucifixion of Christ. And now we have the following of our king. We will follow our king as Israel followed the shepherd king of the house of Jesse, and we will follow the good shepherd, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. So let's jump into this. It's only six verses, so you don't have to strap in for 
a 25-verse exposition. It's, it's not real long, but wow, is it packed with some beautiful things. First off, it's a Psalm of David. Now, I love this, and, and sometimes Annie and I were, uh, we, we had to be sort of prodded or reminded that these, these introductions that are given are inspired. And in and, and some versions, it won't even include something like a Psalm of David, or if it does, we think that it's somehow the editor's note. But it's not. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, the editor being God, his note, to let us know David wrote this psalm. So oftentimes it's in brackets as though it doesn't belong, but it certainly does. Because who better to write about a shepherd-sheep relationship than a man who spent many years in the Judean hills leading a flock? As he learned how to become the leader of a nation. May we remember today that this is how God works in our lives. He is going to give us responsibilities, but he trains us in responsibilities that may be grand and great in our future, but what we're doing right now doesn't really seem to be very important at all. It doesn't really seem that significant. God used this formative time in David's life to develop his care for the sheep. Everybody say his care for the sheep. And his courage against enemies. These are two important things that David would need. Would he not, Brother Steve? You know, if you're going to lead a nation, uh, how, how much more value could you have in something that, that you care for, it, that you love it? When, when you love something, you don't need a whole lot of instructions on how to care for it. And so David learned this very thing. And he had to learn courage against his enemies. Faithful in these small things, a seemingly meaningless job that he did many times alone with no one watching. Someone once told me that character is what a man does when no one is looking. You might certainly know your own character better than anybody as a result of that. And so David, uh, shepherds didn't generally travel in groups. They were generally alone. And so here he was, a sheep. And what he did with those sheep, if he wanted to walk up to those sheep every day and kick them, he could do that. He could have sat out on the side of the hill and said, you miserable, smelly animals. He could have, uh, you know, gotten hungry out there and decided, you know what, I know these are my dads, but you know, bad things happen to sheep out here, you know. <laughs> and, oh, dad, one of them broke their leg and, you know, I, I had to make the most of it. And, and make yourself a big feast you know, out there alone. Nobody would have really cared what he did. He was completely trusted with the care of these sheep. God used this as a proving ground. Before he ever fought Goliath and won the hearts of God's chosen people, here he was standing against a lion and a bear. And it gave him the courage, folks, to stand against Goliath when he came. You know, when we're young or when we're doing things that don't seem important, we can forget that the scripture teaches us that before God puts important things over uh, into our care, that we get the, a chance to prove ourselves. So what does the good shepherd do when the lion and the bear comes? He takes off running, right? That's what he does because, I mean, a man can't fight a lion or a bear, right? But we know what John 10, 11 says a good shepherd does. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Now, honestly, 
This doesn't make any good sense whatsoever. Why on earth would a man die for animals? That's really kind of a, a good question. I mean, the good, I would think if I were writing the book, the good shepherd runs for his life so that he can continue to be a shepherd in future days. That's what I would say. But Jesus said, no, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Well, because the, 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 uh, the center of this thought is the good shepherd, okay? Not the good man, not the smart guy, not the, not the, the guy who's going to really, really live to be an old man. No, but the very best shepherd in the world that you could ever have is one whose life, he values his own life less than the lives of his sheep. And so that's really, he may not be the best man, but he'll certainly be the best shepherd, right? So that's what the good shepherd does. He lays down his life for his sheep. Now, when you think of this, here we have uh, God, you know, we have Christ coming who was so much more than we could ever be. And what did he do for us? Smelly, wayward, right? All we like sheep have gone astray right us who wander out who i mean do sheep really do you think the sheep really worry a whole lot about the shepherd like you know i, I want to make sure he knows where i'm going i don't want him to worry you know no they're just kind of like yeah you know uh, wow this is neat and they're going over here the whole time the shepherd's having to go get him and wrangle him in and bring him in they don't care shepherd doesn't sheep don't care about anything just like us we didn't care for him i mean the sheep probably could watch him battling it out with the lion and the bear. They're just going, huh, check that out. Hope he wins. That's kind of like us. I'm telling you, that's the analogy that we're seeing here. Jesus came. He's the shepherd of great value and importance. And what does he do? But he dies for us who are looking, who don't care, who don't mind, who give him no regard whatsoever. That is the picture that is here. But even though we don't give him regard and we didn't give him regard, did he run off and leave us? Did he treat us like we should be treated as far as, you know, reciprocal? No. He didn't. Luke 16.10, he said, He that is faithful in the least is faithful also in much. Luke 16.10, And he that is unjust in the least is unjust in much. So if God's given you some dumb animal to take care of or some silly responsibility that really doesn't seem that important to you and you don't really have time, you're like, you know, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to do something big. I'm going to, I'm going to, God's going to give me something great to do one day. I mean, what, what does it matter what my room looks like or, or if I really feed this dog or this cat or I worry about it, whether it has fleas on it or whatever. You know what I mean? I mean, guys, seriously, I have important things to do. I can tell you what, if I treated my own family that way, our house would be a very different kind of a house. In the parable of the talents given by Jesus in Matthew 25, it concludes in verse 21 with this statement. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. You know, that sounds pretty reminiscent of what we're all hoping to hear one day, isn't it, Kyle? I mean, after all that we do and we try, what I'm hoping for, and I can tell you, you may go, you know, you may not be like me, but I'm telling you right now, uh, there is one thing that I'm looking forward to more than anything. And that is to hear the Lord say, well done. 
That's what I'm working for. I'm not working for something to leave my children or for this or for... I'm, I am working for God to look at what I did with my life and say, well done. That's what motivates me. That's my whole, that's my whole motivation. Are you faithful in the little things that God has given you? Or are they just little things to you? Are they not that important to you? Are they're insignificant? Well, if they're insignificant to you, then maybe your faithfulness to that will have to be proved in other ways. Or maybe God will never trust you with anything. I meet people who have not, God has given them, it seems like, nothing to do. I think God does give people things to do. And I think that when they don't do anything with them, I think Jesus talks about that. What does he do to him that you, you have, but you don't do anything with it? What does God say he does? He takes it from you. But the one who has more, he gives him even more. Why? Well, how did he get it? He took care of it. He was a good steward over it. Your home, your toys. My toys, I mean, really? Your toys. Your room, your yard, your animals, your family, your work, your responsibilities. If it's your job to empty the bathroom trash can. Oh, now that's so dumb. It would be dumb if the Bible didn't say it wasn't, wouldn't it? What do you do? What do you do with what? What do you do with your clothing? Your shoes? Oh, come on. Pastor Mark, I can't believe you're saying these things. I wouldn't. But the Bible does. And my job isn't to, to entertain you. I could tell you some big stories. Some of you know that I have some big, exciting stories. We could talk about tigers today. But instead, the way you care for the little things in your life will show you what you'll do with bigger things that God will give you. And so that's what this, this, you get out of this little tiny phrase, a Psalm of David. David cared for his sheep. David loved them. He cared for them and he fought for them. He was willing to die for them. And what happened? He got an entire nation. And so you know what? He understood. Now, imagine if he had been a really bad shepherd. Would he have said this, Kyle? Would he have said, the Lord is my shepherd? I mean, that would have had some bad connotations, right? No. He's literally thinking about how much he loved the sheep and how much he cared for the sheep. And because of this great love that he had and the care that he had, he began to see God like a shepherd. Because what, what, what probably happened to him? He loved those sheep. He learned their names. And as, as uh, Brother Andy was reading for, from John chapter 10, it says, the sheep know his voice. They hear, they come to him. They, they know his voice. So here we have just in this first verse beyond the introduction, two statements of truth. The first one is, the Lord is my shepherd. God Almighty, Jehovah God, Yahweh of the heavenlies. Yeah, that's my, that's my caretaker. He's not Moody Baal or Hungry Ra or Cruel Ashtaroth or any man-made pantheon of gods. He is the one and only God who changes not, who never sleeps, who shares not his glory with another, and who never needs anything from anyone, not even my wool. He doesn't even need that. And you know what he does? He cares for me. This is, a, this is kind of a... Because if you see where he's going to go here, 
he's like, you know what? What does that do for you to know that, the, that God is your babysitter? I mean, you, 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 that's pretty serious. We didn't just call in the, 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 the teenager you know, down the street who's got the boyfriend and is on the cell phone all the time. No, God Almighty is watching over my care. He's involved with my entire life. He leads me. He provides for me. He protects me. And He never leaves me to my own foolishness or the dangers of the world. That's what a shepherd does. Sheep are foolish and they're always getting into trouble. That's why you got to have somebody out there to look for them. David declares, I am his possession to do with what he wills. Following the good shepherd from heaven, folks, is following my king. He is my king in power, but somehow he gently guides my steps and he walks with me. Folks, that ought to do something for you today. Does something for me. He declares this statement, I shall not want. Once again, what is this whole thing? Not one complaint, right? And not one request. He's declaring this, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. Why, well, why should I not want? Well, because the Lord, he's my shepherd. There's nothing that I will lack because the God who has all things, as Pastor Nang likes to remind me all the time, he's like, Pastor Ma. Do you not know the God who has all things? I'm like, yes, I do. Come on. I thought I was him. Okay. He's like, no, no. You could. I said, what would happen to you if, if I died? He goes, then the God who was caring for me before. And I know this. I've gone Spanish or something in my pastor name invitation. <laughs> if you die, if you are killed, you know, you know. The God who cared for me, He will still care for me. And I'm like, okay, okay. I need convinced sometimes, but He says this He's the one who provides for me. Do you know your husband isn't your provider, women? Children, do you know your dad is not your provider? God is. Now, He uses people, and He certainly does, but, but, you know, I am providing for, in a sense, for Pastor Nang and all these people over there, but am I their provider? I'm, I think not. And every now and then when I think I am, I just need a smack upside the head. I may fail to provide for my wife and children like I wish I could. Those who care for you today may fall short of your hopes. But the one who ultimately provides for all of us is not short on anything. We cannot have needs that are too great for him to meet. And they are not too strenuous for him to achieve because there's no limit to his greatness. It took years for me to learn this lesson. It may sound like it's just a little simple statement in a, in a sermon, but I'm telling you what, it took me years of a whole lot of trouble to come to this way of understanding. So years ago, after several years on this very subject, I came to finally go, wait a minute. I can't complain about anything because God is my provider. I mean, how many of you want to be the one who complains against God? Everybody say, do this with your head. Uh-uh, uh-uh. What happened to the people that complain about God? You, do, you guys, do you guys read the Old Testament ever? People that complain against God, bad things happen to them. Because what you're saying is you're saying, he's not my shepherd. 
and I shall want. He isn't paying attention. He isn't meeting my needs as if somehow God just has like, you know, he's like me. He only has so much in his budget. Really? God's budget isn't strapped. He's not like your dad in that respect, okay? God is my provider. When we complain about what we have and when we, we are complaining about Him, I, I could actually be done right now. Do, do you know that? When we complain about what we have, we are not complaining about our husbands or our dads. We're complaining about God. You know what? If, if we just stop right now and we focus just thinking on that, for like the for a long time I think that good things could happen in our house you and I have what we have because this is what God knows we need now this is where it gets a little bit difficult the reason why you don't have any money is because if you had any what God is trying to accomplish in your life wouldn't be happening you need to not have money right now it's like it, it, that's not what you really want to hear sometimes we need to go without to suffer what seems to be lack because rest assured brothers and sisters God's people never want for anything that they need God says he provides that for them it says God has life and health and all good things and they come down from the father of lights the great shepherd of our souls and in him there is no darkness neither shadow of turning of his own will begot he us and he has taken away whatever is best for us to have taken away from us and he's given us whatever we need the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want that's who he is and that's who I am in some total and I am his and he is mine he is the shepherd and I am the sheep verse 2 he makes me to lie down in green pastures he leads me beside the still waters now here in verse 2 we have two more powerful and defining truths that we're going to consider. Now when I went to look at this, I kind of wondered if sometimes, sometimes I get to this like, did the interpreter pick the very best word for this? Because the word he makes me. Now there, is a lot, there are a lot of people with doctrinal problems with this word. You understand this? Have you ever heard people say, God is a gentleman. You ever heard this? God is a gentleman. He never forces us. He never makes us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Can you see where the theology that they have isn't going to work out well for them? So I looked up the Hebrew because I thought, Andy, maybe it's possible that William Tyndale put a word makes like, you know, kind of like he encourages me. He, he, he leads me over there and, and, and I see the opportunity before me. If, and he is just gently uh, recommending that I lay there. No, he makes me. You know what you do when your little one won't lay down? What do you do, Elaine? Do you go, please? You know, you're like, you want to lay down or I'm going to give you one of these, right? Not you. You probably never probably none of that going on over there all right so I wondered what this was and so the Hebrew words for in fact there's more to it than you see so he says he makes me to lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside the still waters this verb this making this forcing really 
is carried from the green pastures and into the still waters. It could say, He makes me to lie down in green pastures and He makes me to lie down by the still waters. But they, did, they didn't, it doesn't say that in the translation. But the, the power of the Hebrew is there. He continually, in fact, it's not just that He does it once, He continually does this. He continually makes me lie down. Both of them express God's active involvement and His sovereignty over His people. Here in the first phrase, the shepherd makes the sheep lie down in green pastures. This picture is twofold, showing that we don't always know what's best for ourselves. We don't know when to rest, and we don't know when and where to rest either. It's often our erroneous way of thinking that drives us to drive ourselves into the ground trying to get it all done. How, how many of you just, I know, I, I think every hand would raise. You ever just get overwhelmed going, you know, I got to do this, I got to do this. I mean, if I don't do this, then this, and this has to be done, and this is really slipping by with my kids, and, and this really, how, how many of you get to kind of feel like that? I mean, I know, I've, I've had talks with you, you know? If I don't do this, then my kid's not going to be provided for. Or if I don't do this, this thing isn't going to happen. Or I'm going to end up failing. Or I'm going to end up letting them down. Or I've got to lead them to this. And, oh, what am I going to do? How many of you struggle with this? I know you do. But God's Word says that there's time to rest. And He makes us rest. And sometimes the way He makes... Some of us are so stubborn that we won't rest. So He helps us out. And He, he puts a little pause button on our lives. You know, these pause buttons come on our lives and we can't do anything about them. You ever have these things? They happen and there's nothing you can do. You know, Benita, you want to keep going, but your ankle, it won't. And so you have to rest. Well, what if God is saying, you know, Benita, we want you to live. And, it, and if you run around, run around, run around, run around, you're going to like, you know, it's going to be the end of you. We want you to around so you won't listen, you won't straighten up, you won't trust me, you worry, and you're just out pulling weeds and turning red and cutting grass and cared for all the kids in the church and you're doing your thing you just need to relax a little bit honey you know but we don't listen to God so you know what God does he goes you're gonna lie down right over here you see we need to trust that God is our strength and yet we fret over how poorly we educate our children how terrible our houses or our husbands are cared for they, might, they may not know this, but these things can plague us. Fathers are no different. We burn the midnight oil trying to serve our families, and too often we worry that we cannot provide enough. But God has not called us to save anyone. He's not called us to keep anyone saved. He's not called us to be the eternal provider for our daughter, for our wives. We're, we're, we can only be and do what we can do. He's called us to do our best through Him. Sometimes He will make you lie down to help you with this. But don't worry. He'll lie you down in a lush green pasture where there's shade. So that you can be refreshed and ready to go as soon as you're ready to get back to what God wants you to do. You know, Ephesians chapter 2 reminds us that God... That we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we will do. Do you know you're going to do plenty of good things? You don't really have to worry about this too much. It's, 
it can really, really, really set you free when you stop worrying about how much you have to do. And you just trust God. I, I have to tell my wife this on a regular basis. Honey, does God love our children? Did, did he know that their mom was going to be sick? Is this take God by surprise? No. This is his plan. This is hard for us to deal with, but God is active. See, with the active, this is not only the great blessing of knowing he's around, but the difficulty comes, Steve, when we look at our lives and the bad things in them and we go, oh, well, he put those there too. Job had to remind his wife of this. We have received good from the hand of the Lord. Shall we not receive evil? These other things, the things that we don't like? He leads us beside the still waters. He who calmed the storm and stilled the waters of Galilee inspired David to use this picture of the still water where he leads his sheep to rest as a picture of how we too should rest. Peace be still, church. I'm speaking it over you today. Christ spoke it over the wind and the waves in Galilee. And I'm saying God's word says, peace be still. I don't want you to rage. I don't want you to blow. I don't want you to... You're, no, you need to calm down. The Bible says that they that, have, that they that know God enter into what? They enter into a, a rest because they have ceased from their own works. So I speak peace be still over you today as Jesus did in Mark 4.39 to the wind and the sea. And I pray that you heed his words then and take comfort of his great care. Yes, indeed, he makes me to lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside the still waters. It will no doubt restore your soul when you feel overtaken by the weariness of your own work. Kyle, how many times have we been on the phone and, you know, you have this thing that you're doing and... And you know, I'm your buddy, and so I encourage you. And it's a good thing to have a friend like Kyle. When I need encouragement, he gives me encouragement. And you know where he gives it to me from? The Word of God. That's why Kyle's my friend. And when Kyle needs my encouragement, I don't just go, Hey, you know, I have this really neat book by Norman Vincent Peale. It's amazing. I, I've heard this great sermon by Joel Olstein, and, and I'm going to send that over to you. And... And he's going to tell you how good you are, Kyle. And he's going to tell you that people shouldn't talk bad about you. And your life's going to be so good. No, I don't do that. I, go, I take him to the Word of God and I say, Kyle, come on, buddy. Let's rest in God. I know. I know you're getting older. I know you're having, you know, this is all of our lives. I, you know, when, when, when bad things happen to me, when, when my back went out and I couldn't walk, I'm like, and then I got to go, wait a minute, I can't rage? Who am I going to rage against? The one who could go make it right. The one who could, the one who made me, he could do it. If he doesn't do it, he obviously knows why. And I'm pretty sure now, I'm pretty sure he knows more than I do. Pretty sure. This is why coming to understand God's work and our salvation is such a wonderful joy. I remember crying for days, the day I remembered, and where, the day someone brought me to this understanding, and, and real, it was God himself, that he's saving me. 
It's a wonderful thing. I'm, I'm writing right now, and this week I wrote the story of Pastor Nang who, who was railing against us. He was in a, a, a pagan religion that was all based on your work. And so his Christianity, his early Christianity was like that. He was going to save himself, and he was going to keep himself. And at one point, he's wanting to fight with a man who's telling him about grace, and he's wanting to fight with him. And he sees the Word of God, and tears begin to flow from his face. And, and, and the way, I didn't even put it in the book because I didn't want to embarrass him, but I, I, I can embarrass him with you because you're, you're close, your family. He's like, he's like, snot was running from my nose and tears. He goes, everything was coming everywhere. It was all over me. He goes, I couldn't quit crying. And I say, why, 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 why do I cry? Oh, Lord. And he said, I come to realize I have great joy because now I know I am saved. And now nothing can take me from his hand. As we read in John chapter 10, nothing will be able to pluck us from his hand there's joy in that folks there's not there's not a list of to do's that you have to complete before your number is called all of the list is clean we need not trouble the waters and run as if we might miss what God is offering freely no indeed come taste and see that the Lord is good and that there is no lack at his table we need not clamor over our plates as if the serving dishes will empty before we take our fill. They will be like the widow's crews of oil and like the fish and loaves that multiplied. There will be enough with much to spare. So let us take our time. Isn't it a such more blessed thing to be at a table where there's so much food you couldn't possibly eat half of it? There's sort of a relaxing to it, but when there's only one good pork chop, it's different. Let us take our time and set aside the painful pressures and put, that we put mostly upon ourselves and be restored today. And that's what we get in verse 3. Verse 3, He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. That's what God does. He restores our souls through rest this is, this is one of these great pictures of sovereignty. He restores our souls Himself through the rest that He makes us to have. He provides the salvation and He leads us to it. Because all we like sheep have gone astray. We were blind in our own hearts and our minds and we were far from God but, and we were even too weak to get up. You remember the man who waited for the waters to be troubled? Jesus said, what i got for you is so much better than that. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wonder if you can make it to the water in time when, or someone's going to get there before you do. No. We should never tire hearing of the words of Isaiah 40, which we heard last week. Have you not known? Have you not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, that He does not faint that he does not get weary. How many of you do? You know you do. You get tired. You get weary. You, you think, can I do it? You know, Luke, you're out there and you're, you're doing your thing and you're trying to plan the next thing and you're trying to make it work. I know that's what you got to do. I know that's what any man does who's trying to provide for his family. 
But I'll tell you what's a great thing. God doesn't get tired. He isn't weary. The Creator of the ends of the earth faints not. There is no searching His understanding. But you know, it's not only that. But He gives power to the faint. It isn't just that He doesn't faint. He gives power to the faint. To them that have no might, He increases strength even to use faint. And weary, but the young men, even they shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not, not faint. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. For his name's sake. The ways of God's wisdom, it says in Proverbs 13, 17, are the ways of pleasantness and all of her paths are peace why does God do what he does in our lives he does it for his glory you might think it all boils down to the fact that he loves you and he does love you but that's not why he does it he does it for his own glory he's not lifting up our righteousness when he leads us to the beautiful life of trusting him he's glorifying himself Yes, indeed, he restores my soul and leads me in the paths of righteousness. But he does it for his sake. Verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. God not only leads us to the green pastures and the still waters and the paths of righteousness, but he also leads us in dangerous places too. Kyle was recently down in Honduras, were you not? Is that like Orient? Not exactly. Here next week I'm going to be in Yangon and in January I'll be in maybe a few miles away from people who are killing each other. God leads us into some dangerous places sometimes. But we're not to fear because He's there too. We're not to fear evil of any kind. Be not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Ephesians 2 and 6, Paul reminds us that Christ is above all principalities, powers, rulers, might, dominion, every name that is named, right? The darkness of the world, spiritual wickedness of high places. We may go through dangerous places, but it's not like you know, God's scared of guns. It's like watching the superhero movies, you know. Someone pulls out a gun on Superman. Wow! He doesn't, he doesn't even frown. Like, oh, come on. In fact, this is fun, right? God's not Superman. Superman's silly. But God's not afraid of war. He's not afraid of pestilence. He's not afraid of chikagunya and elephant flu and all manner of whatever that might be out there or tigers or whatever he has a rod and he has a staff he leads us by taking the lead he helps us through active protection and discipline sometimes we need protected from ourselves we can find comfort both in God's rod and in his staff you know I was looking this up so many things that I learned when I was younger I have to look up because I find out they're so wrong. And if you just search online, you can so go astray. And so there are some neat 
uh, repositories of information online that will explain to you that the whole rod is not really real, that it's really just the other end of the staff, and that the idea that anyone would ever use it on a child or spank anyone or ever even discipline a sheep is wrong. And I'm like, huh, wow, this just sounds like maybe not right, you know, kind of... Like, this could maybe not be right, you know. But, I mean, they say it with the conviction, and they're like, in the ancient, and you're like, wow, you know, and they're giving examples, and I'm like, I think these people, as authoritative as they said, I think they're probably idiots. And do you know how I know they're probably idiots, Laura? Because the Bible tells us plenty of things that what they say, the Bible isn't saying. So I don't even need to be an expert in their ancient craziness. I just go, well, obviously they don't know what they're talking about because I have the whole counsel of the Word of God. Anyway, I looked into it, and praise God, there's two things. There's a rod and there's a staff. And I really love the picture of it all. People that know sheep or deal with animals know that an animal is not very smart, but it's at least smart enough to know the thing you hurt it with. You know, does Hans know about the little button? When, he, what, what, when Hans sees the button, is he got going, I love you? Or is he tucking his, he's like, you know, he's like shell-shocked. You, I think you guys are like, zapped him maybe one or two times too many. But he knows that object is for his pain, right? And so God has objects of pain, okay? Sheep had them too, and it's the rod. Now, the rod was used not only as an object of pain, but it was used to fight uh, enemies, but, they had, but there's a staff, too. And the staff usually had a crook on the end of it. And they, the staff was used in many ways. When the Bible talks about dividing them, they would have to, because of sickness and because of different reasons, divide the sheep. And they would take their staff, and it was long, and they could put it out. And they could maybe they were come to a place that was narrow, and they had to hold the sheep so they could go through one at a time. Because if they went both at a time, they could be hurt. And so they took the, they, they have to take the staff and put the staff out. Now, if it was what they were being whacked with, do you think that they would respond well to the thing being out there? No, they wouldn't. So the staff had to be something they were comfortable with. When they fell in the water or in a hole, they could take the staff and put it out in there and put the crook around it and gently lift them up. But if it was this thing that they used to whack them with, then what would they do? In their distress, they would be, uh, they would be frightened of this. Anyway, there's a picture here. God disciplines us and He leads us. And both of these things can be a comfort to us. Amen? It's a comfort to know. Many children, and we have dealt with children in foster care situations who've never been disciplined... There is a comfort that comes to a child that knows that you are watching them. That you care what they do. They're kind of, uh, kids will, they kind of want to know if you're actually paying attention, if you actually care. And so there's some comfort in the fact that you can't just get away with and do anything. There's a love that comes with knowing that someone loves you enough to whack you once in a while if you need it, so that you don't hurt yourself, right? And so there's a love and there's a comfort in God's discipline. And He does hurt us. You might go, God, He's gentle, He never hurts us. Yes, He does. In fact, pain is probably one of the greatest teachers we have. Two tools used to guide the sheep and fight the enemies. Comfort that we are safe. Comfort in that He is watching over us even if we are reminded by the rod with a whack on the leg. The rod was shorter, more deft, used to correct the errant sheep, as I've told you, and defend off predators. 
but God has both protection for us and discipline. That's how we know He loves us. The Bible says that a father that does not discipline his child does not love them. In Hebrews it says that we would be considered fatherless children if God did not correct us. So when you're corrected, it's your life. God is loving you through it. It says it's not, it, it is not pleasant. It is grievous to be born at the time, but it brings forth what? It brings forth pleasantness. So David is saying, I accept from God his corrections and his guidance. Verse 5, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runs over. Following my kings means that I shall not want for rest, protection, care, water, and food. Here in verse 5, the good shepherd is the host of a feast that he has prepared for, his, for we his sheep. He leads us through the danger of the valley of the shadow of death and now he brings us to his banqueting table as our enemies look on helpless to do anything to harm us or even to frighten us. I mean, if you thought someone was trying to kill you over there, could you dig into that chicken leg? But what do you have? You got your shepherd. And in this case, he moves from being the shepherd and he becomes, Steve, the host of the feast. And so you're there at his house. You're at the house of this mighty Lord with power and protection, with walls and guards and everything. And your enemies are over there. They're hungry in the shadows. And you know what they're doing? They're like... What is going on? And they're there looking on. They can do nothing about it. And they're really not even your concern at all. You can't really enjoy a good meal if you're thinking someone's wanting to get you, right? And this beautiful image here is not the image of provision. It is the image of abundance. Because what God does here is He doesn't just throw out a chicken leg and you eat it on the run with one sword in one hand and a chicken leg in the other. No. God sets out a beautiful, splendid, gorgeous table. He prepares the table. I love it. I love that my wife prepares our table, that there are candles on our table and beautiful folded napkins on our table and dishes that match and the cups that match. Why? I love it. Well, my wife provides a great feast. I love it. It tells me that she loves me. It tells me that she likes to sit with our family and that we're going to make it beautiful and pleasant. Please don't take my compliments of my wife as an insult to any of you. But that's what God does. He prepares a table. He lays it out. And you see that this is the picture because the very next thing He does, Stephen, you know what He says? He anoints my head with oil. He's giving the picture of what people do when they invite somebody over for something special. They came and they would not only prepare a beautiful table and not only would they make it lovely, but then they would make things lovely for you. They would then give you oils and, and you know, actually, not only is it good food, but could you imagine you're covered in these oils and your skin feels nice and you smell good. How many of you have ever been like working and sweating and you're yucky and then you're like, you're, you're not smart enough to go shower and change before you eat and you're just kind of there and you're like, you know, you're eating and you're like, there's no joy, there's no rest, that's a bad thing. You go and change your clothes and eat and dress and come and sit down and you know what? you're going to have a whole different kind of experience. 
You can't, you can't rest in all that. And so this, there's this picture here. Not only is he feeding, not only is the table prepared, but he anoints his head with oil. He's providing him this refreshing, beautiful, you know, I, I don't even know. I'm not a person that knows, you know, this lavender infused elixir of lotionness or whatever, you know, I don't know. I've never been infused or elixir as far as I know, but you know, whatever. So, so whatever it is, it's nice, okay? And so, but then the, the, to, to take the image further, he says that his cup does what? His cup runs over. So, so the analogy in this three-part picture is made complete here. He comes and he's got a prepared table. He comes and he's covered in oil and, and he's smelling good. And not only does he just have something to drink, but his cup runs over. And this is not to say he's got a messy table. What it's trying to say is that there's plenty of it. Oh, are you, you want some more? You know, it's, it's, oh, it's flowing out. It's a symbol of we have so much. If it runs over your cup and onto the table, it's okay. It's all right. We're just going to just fill it up. God talks about the Holy Spirit like that. The Bible doesn't say that we just have it. The Bible doesn't say that we have just enough, that it's going to take us from the grave and we'll barely somehow make it to heaven. But he says, no, you are filled with the Spirit to the overflowing. And when you say your cup runneth over, you're talking about the abundance of the Holy Spirit that not only fills you, but it fills you and it flows out of your life into others. What did Jesus say? If anyone thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. For out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. Why? Because your cup is going to overrun. The Bible tells us that they, we will not only uh, uh, feed and, 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 and plant, but we will water. One plants, one waters, but God gives the increase. Wow. Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Following my king causes goodness and mercy to follow me. I think this is a beautiful picture. We've learned recently that we do not follow after pleasure, but if we follow the king at his right hand, there are what? There are pleasures forevermore. You may say, I want the good life, and and, 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 and I, want, I want God to be merciful to me. And we want all of these things for ourselves. Do you know that if you pursue God and if you follow your king, you know what will follow you? Goodness and mercy. He that has been good to you, he that has been merciful to you, you will be good and merciful to others. That's what should happen. He's been kind to us, tender-hearted, forgiving us. And so what does he say in Ephesians 4? He's done this for you. You should what? You should do this to other people. When God in His kindness and mercy sends us this overflowing life that is more abundant. When we set and we heap unto ourselves things and, 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 and we don't go out we, 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 and, and share what we have. We're guilty as those lepers would have been at the gates of Samaria. They go out and they find the camp of the Assyrians completely gone, but filled with gold, filled with food, filled with wine in a city where they're, they're eating 
their children. And they say, what we do sitting here is not good. And they enjoyed enough and they ran back and they told the people about it. Folks, we should share what we have. We should not hold it back. There's plenty of it. It's not like we could eat it all or spend it all. We should share it. And the fact that we don't shows our own greed. Folks, you know when God gave us a beautiful home and we had six children, the, the thought that came to our mind is look how good our life is. We could give this to somebody else. Like it's already here. We've already got mom. We've already got dad. We've already got a place to live. We could give some child that would never have this. We could give this to them. Now someone along the line thought that we wanted to adopt because we didn't have enough. Like we needed one more car or we needed one more kitten or we needed one more whatever to be happy. And I remember, I remember when they said, you know, don't you have enough? I remember looking at them like, what? Like, they're like, you adopted a child? They're like, didn't you already have enough? And I remember looking at them and they, be, they were so disgusting to me because I was like, what are you talking about? This is not about an acquisition. And I looked at them and I wasn't trying to be mean, but I just go, yeah, yeah, we had enough. We had more than enough. And that's why we wanted to bring them into our home because we had more than we needed. That's goodness and mercy. Where when God gives to you, you just go, I just have so much. I don't, I can't just keep this all for just me. And yeah, there's the late nights and there's the years and there's the dedicated, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what happens when you give to God? What he gives you is so much more. Right? Give and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, and what? Running over. Following my king calls his goodness and mercy to follow me all the days of my life. David understood the keeping power, the power of God. He had no illusion that somehow his standing would come in question with God. He was the shepherd and he would lead him. God knew when he needed to rest. He knew when he needed peace to cool in the calm waters. He would save and restore his soul. Lead him in the paths of righteousness for his own glory. He made a banquet, anointed him with the Holy Spirit, filled him with the wine of joy unspeakable and full of glory. The people of God not only enjoy the blessings for a season, but we enjoy great understanding that nothing shall be able to take us out of his hand or come in like a thief in the night to steal it away. If we lose something, it is because God has taken it himself. Our shepherd will never leave us or forsake us. He can keep us even from separating ourselves from his love. That may not be much of a comfort to you, but that's a comfort to me. I can't even mess it up. What he's done is more powerful than my foolishness. It is more overwhelming than the crimson stains of my sin. And as Christ said on the cross, it's finished. I'll tell you, there's few things in my life that have ever brought me more joy than knowing that. As he said in Ezekiel 34, I myself search for my sheep and I seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out a flock when he is among the sheep, 
that have been scattered, I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. Jesus came into a dark world and he brought the light and he came gathering a people. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them from the mountains of Israel by the ravens and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in good pasture and on the mountains and the heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. They shall lie down in a good and grazing land. In a rich pasture they shall feed upon the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will take them, make them to lie down. I did Ezekiel. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. Those I will destroy and I will feed them with justice. I'll close for you from John chapter 10. Truly I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and he will find pasture. The thief comes but to steal and to kill and destroy. But I am come that you might have life. How? More abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He that is hired... A hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming and he leaves and he flees. And the wolf snatches them and they're scattered. He flees because he is hired and he cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep also that are not in this fold. I must bring them in also. He spoke of us, folks, the Gentiles. There will be one flock. The Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. This is the charge I have for my Father. So you guys want to say the words with me? The Lord is my shepherd. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. In the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemy. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever not one complaint and not one request but a statement of faith about a God who brings us rest let us pray oh Lord you have been faithful to us and have been the good shepherd and Lord for that reason we need not fear anyone or anything we need not want for anything and we know that the things that we seem to lack are brought into our lives to change us and mold us to make us to be more like you. May we rejoice. May we be a thankful people. May we see all the things in our life as commands and in them rejoice. 
Rejoice when we are tried, knowing that the trial of our faith works patience. Let us let patience have its perfect work in us, that we may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. In Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. This is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.